Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Sarah Seibert. Today we're joined by Arun and Skandaraja, one of the General Services Administration's Presidential Innovation Fellows, or PIF, who has been working on making the regulatory review processes at the FDA more efficient and seamless. The PIF program is an innovative group for government. It pairs technologists, designers, and strategists with federal agencies to build a more resilient government by co-creating stronger public services using data science, design, engineering, product, and systems thinking. And for the FDA, taking advantage of this partnership means integrating concepts like human-centered design and ensuring agencies innovate at the speed of technology. To kick off this episode, could you tell us more about the challenges you're working to solve at FDI? Sure. So this is a really critical time to be at the Food and Drug Administration. As I'm sure everyone listening knows, we're very much struggling with a challenge that cuts across sectors, but it is very clearly one that the Food and Drug Administration, with their role in safety and efficacy of new interventions, is a critical part of. So I think what really drove my desire to want to be part of the PIF program, but FDA specifically, was the chance to serve on this type of critical public health issue at, at a time where there's so much uncertainty and so much need across, across government, but across uh, the globe as well. And I make that connection because the FDA really is uh, the gold standard regulatory review and the group that other countries look to as they think about how to manage emerging crises. Um, the FDA is also in a really interesting position from a data perspective because we see this huge set of needs around the pandemic, but also around our day-to-day operations, being able to deliver on our normal health mission. And the, the kind of advantage of coming at this time is that we have a new chief data officer uh, who's building a team that's very cross-disciplinary and very much embodies the type of collaboration mindset that the the Innovation Fellowship captures as well. It's great to see the progress and innovation happening at FDA. Could you discuss what attracted you about the PIF program? I came in to the world of healthcare really seeing an opportunity to remove barriers and increase access to quality in healthcare. You know, I started as an engineer trying to think about what you know day-to-day healthcare providers need and, and what you may need in geographic settings where healthcare providers aren't available. Uh, we worked on custom hardware. We were basically building mobile phone-based microscopes and trying to commercialize them. But I think that was my first lesson that a technology by itself really wasn't a path to success. So the Presidential Innovation Fellowship Program at the, at the General Services Administration is a really great way for someone who's approaching government for the first time to see what the government's about, because it gives you this opportunity to come in with a set of fellows who come in with collaborative mindsets, a diversity of backgrounds, and each working on a critical need alongside a very senior and very energized champion, or what we call a sponsor. That was really appealing to me because I've collaborated with government before. I've seen their role in innovation, but coming in with that guidance of a sponsor with a cohort of fellows was a really powerful way to jump in, especially in a time of crisis where, where speed and being able to ramp up quickly matters. Uh, the program itself also emphasizes the idea of collaboration and thinking about uh, common needs across government, including that around technology and data. And 
one thing that's become very clear, even in my, my time here, is that these problems parallel one another and having uh, not only our collaborators here at the FDA, but having this diverse set of fellows is a, a key part of how we deliver value quickly to the government. So you mentioned the importance of diversity when it comes to innovation. Could you dive deeper into the value of new perspectives? The value of new perspectives is that it's really the only way that the agency can move at the speed of technology. The range of new innovation is is pretty staggering when you're thinking about the, the frameworks and the ways that we can support that innovation. So being able to bring in people with a diverse set of backgrounds, with a strong point of view on how innovation should move forward, what kinds of capabilities are going to be emerging in the private sector is critical for the FDA to be able to keep up with and be proactive in how they manage this innovation ecosystem from their role as a regulator. These diverse perspectives are also the way to advance our core technology modernization goals, bringing us forward in how we use the cloud, how we think about the user experience as a whole, and how we shift the mindset to think about what iteration looks like in the government context. By pushing on what it means to be inclusive, pushing on this idea of diversity, that's really the only way for the FDA to become representative of these populations that we're trying to serve, especially the ones that don't have access. So I think these new perspectives are the ways that we can really capture the complexity and the experiences of the populations that the public health mission is ultimately trying to serve. The agency is looking to incorporate more AI and automation into its data roadmap. Data serves as the building blocks for all of FDA's regulatory functions, and here's why. The FDA as an organization is, is one that's always been built around and built to manage data. From early in its history, it's been an organization that is staffed with very quantitative scientists, with biostatisticians who are pushing the boundaries of what types of analyses are possible, and ultimately using that information to communicate with the public and ensure their, their safety over time. This is a kind of a legacy that I'm hoping to build on in, in my time at the FDA. That's a great overview. What are some of the specific goals you'll be working toward during your tenure with FDA? My primary goal at the Food and Drug Administration is to take the concept of artificial intelligence and within that things like robotic process operate automation, the optimization of FDA processes, and roll those out in a way that is user-centric, takes into account the system as a whole. Within this goal of rolling out these types of capabilities and in artificial intelligence and automation, we also want to benefit our staff. You want to take the work that is wrote, that can be codified into a set of rules, and bring capabilities like automation into that process. I, I think part of bringing this user-centered view and trying to advance the, stat, the capability of the Food and Drug Administration around the artificial tailored capabilities is our role in preparing the agency and taking out some of the hype. So just as important as showing what's possible is showing the constraints, showing what types of roles are necessary, and showing how you thoughtfully roll out these types of capabilities. My second goal at, at the FDA is to really empower the data scientists here at the agency. We have, as I mentioned, a, a diverse set of data 
and capabilities and tools available, as well as use cases that we know are meaningful to human health. To bridge that experience, though, for someone coming into the government as a data scientist or retraining with those skills, I've really uh, embraced the role of a a PIF as someone who can amplify the challenges and the the kind of day-to-day issues that our staff face. So part of my objective has been describing what these challenges are, creating kind of that ideal workflow for a data scientist going forward helping structure the trainings that will get them the types of skills they need to grow and build their careers within government. And we're doing all this work in partnership with a variety of components of the FDA, from the Office of Information Management and Technology to uh, specific entities within the FDA that are interested in data and digital capabilities, such as the Center for Devices and Radiological Health, Digital Health Center of Excellence. We as an agency, have a responsibility to our sponsors. So these are the companies who are trying to make the innovation work, trying to commercialize it. These groups need guidance on best practices, but they also need partnership because many of these technologies are first of their kind and need a counterpart here at the FDA who can work with them collaboratively. As Skandaraja mentioned, managing opportunity and risk appropriately is essential to effective transformation and technology adoption. FDA is integrating operational AI that better supports decision-making and enables FDA to scale, while still prioritizing the user experience. Our role within the CDO is to really ask that question, can we bring best practices from across government and across the private sector into the Food and Drug Administration. So that as we implement our own applications of AI in these different workflows, we're bringing these kinds of best practices and managing both the opportunity and the risk appropriately. That's a great take. How do you go about doing that? Over the course of my time here, we really started this work by discovery and by listening. There were several instances of artificial intelligence being applied to different tasks from these types of risk assessments to the idea of kind of bringing the right capacity in at the right time to manage our reviewing workload. So we we listened carefully and and tried to understand where these capabilities were being deployed, what the challenges were. But we also reached back out to the General Services Administration. I've talked to everyone from former PIFs of that community to the AI community practice that's been stood up within the Technology and Transformation Service of GSA. Let's dive deeper into FDA's AI strategy. How are you working to create achievable touch points within the strategy and drive more success with AI implementation? I think one thing that's important to emphasize about AI strategy is that it can't be decoupled from just good data practices. So one of our key goals has been to use this kind of energy, the excitement around AI, but kind of come back to the basics, like really ask that question, do we have the data in the right place? Do we understand it? Are we defining our use cases appropriately? Do we have the right people at the table? And I think getting that baseline discipline that we have on our IT projects is important to ground our AI work as well. One of our key focuses, you know, once we have these lessons from across the government, once we've built on these data practices, is really to complement our scientists. It's to go to them in a way that brings these new business contexts forward, these different operational needs, and open it up for these scientists, these statisticians, the folks who have the machine learning expertise 
to apply their capabilities to these internal problems. Along with this focus on teamwork, we've also been developing specific assets to really drive the AI strategy at the agency. One of these uh, assets we're calling the, the playbook for AI, which is a, a term that we're, we use very purposefully because our project managers are talented folks that need to work across contracts, data scientists, data sources. And what we're trying to do with this playbook is really codify you know, what does a good team look like? How do you think about these opportunities and risks in AI? And how do you really move from concept to operations? We're also helping support the, the tools that are going to enable this work to go forward. Some of this is about the process of going through analysis of alternatives, understanding which tools have the right capabilities for our staff. But another component of this is, is the idea that AI isn't always going to be the answer. And even though this is embedded within an AI strategy, a critical part of how we're ensuring the FDA drives its uh, technical capabilities forward appropriately is to give them the ability to pick the right tool, to help them ask the right questions. The other two components that we've been trying to support as part of driving the AI strategy are really strengthening the muscle around user and stakeholder discovery. This idea of user experience is something that I think defines the PIF program as a whole. And it's, it's something that's kind of core to the mission of the FDA and something that we're trying to really make part of how we operate around our IT projects as well. Finally, any work that's done in AI across federal government has to recognize the type of impact and the disparate impact that we can have on our population if it's not rolled out properly. So we've been very focused on bringing transparency to artificial intelligence efforts and partnering with the executive orders and other efforts that are trying to drive trustworthy and transparent use of AI, bringing that ethical lens in as, as early as we can. FDA's regulatory process serves as a gold standard for the rest of the world regulating everything from medical devices to food and tobacco. With this critical oversight responsibility and more pressing needs arising, such as the case with coronavirus, FDA is exploring how it can ramp up operations to meet increasing needs. We regulate a huge percentage of the overall GDP, everything from drugs and devices to the foods that we consume to the tobacco that individuals consume as well. And our public health mission spans all of those different types of materials. And while in some of those areas, we may be verifying this, the safety and efficacy, in other areas, we, we're sort of that backstop. We're that ability to you know, have someone that you can turn to when there is a, uh, an adverse event, something that's gone wrong in the consumption of food. We're also the agency responsible for the security of our food supply building on kind of the counterterrorism mission that the, the U.S. government has as well. Finally, the public health mission it includes this push towards speeding innovation. As you get your hands around the types of data that are generated by these various facets of our mission, from safety to, to responsiveness to kind of proactive security mission, there is information coming in the form of genomics data to help us with the evolution towards precision medicine. There are entirely new types of data as people wear devices on their wrists that generate data continuously. 
And there's an openness now to moving beyond just clinical trials to ask what can we learn from the routine use of these different medical interventions, this, this idea of real-world data and real-world evidence. So with the sheer amount and variety of FDA's data, how is the agency using this information to put plans into action and make more informed decisions? As an agency, we try to address this kind of breadth of data and application. The first step we took was defining the Data Modernization Action Plan, or the DMAP. Uh, this is very much about even getting the capability in-house to really leverage these digital tools. This is bringing in the right talent, the first pillar, applying the right data practices, the second pillar, and then using that additional capacity and flexibility to execute on a set of what we call driver projects to really not only show the value of data, but but capture that value and start the FDA down a path of, of making these projects repeatable. Specific examples of how we're bringing these digital capabilities to bear on the public health mission, we have to prepare the, the FDA for these emerging technologies. And part of that involves keeping a close eye using AI tools and basic clustering approaches to see you know, where is the new literature how is the, the language and the communication around science changing? And what does that mean for where new drugs and interventions will be coming from? We also use data directly on the mission of ensuring safety after something goes to the market. We have digital tools in place so that you can submit events that have happened to you when you've been using a medical product or a food. We're using artificial intelligence to speed the review of that information. And in the process, create a more direct and a faster communication back to the public when there are issues. How have FDA's data efforts supported the agency's pandemic response? Very timely during the, the pandemic, uh, we have, we've had to use data in something that we call the advisory matrix to ensure that when our, when our staff are going out to facilities to ensure that the products that Americans consume are safe, that they themselves are safe. So this involved pulling together an understanding of how safe, what the prevalence of COVID was in different regions, and mapping that against the facilities that needed to be inspected. With its heavy emphasis on data, and as part of its Technology Modernization Action Plan, or TMAP, and recently launched Data Modernization Action Plan, DMAP, the agency is looking to shift entirely to a data-centric organization. Skandaraja will explain how he is working to reduce the time to identify, ingest, integrate, and curate data to drive new efficiencies. A really important point to start when we talk about shifting the, the timing, the efficiency of how we identify, ingest, and integrate our data is that any of our kind of new efficiencies have to, have to be implemented in a very thoughtful way. It's very fundamental across government, but particularly in the FDA, that we hold very sensitive and valuable data. This is the traditional employee data that every organization is trying to protect, but it's also information about individuals who are in the process of going through clinical trials, as well as confidential information about how these innovative new products are being produced. A key part of being able to introduce these efficiencies around data are that we need to be thoughtful about constantly integrating security. And when we do find something that, that works, we have to institutionalize that. 
because as we've talked about, the FDA operates at an incredible scale around its data. And when these problems are solved around curation or ingestion, we want to make sure that the agency as a whole benefits. We've had to look at the data across its life cycle, sort of the life of a data element. And in the process of doing that, we've identified these multiple points of optimization. And one thing that's really important to think about in an organization of the FDA scale, you have to know where the data is. We have to have a clear catalog that uh, demystifies different data sources, some which may be older or span many years, other which may be new and emerging around things like social listening. So how do we create that transparency so that this data, which is being collected at great cost to our manufacturers, to our public sector, that we generate the full value and bring that back to the public. Another component of generating this, these efficiencies is that we've taken a very a strong perspective on developing data roles. And while an individual can play multiple roles, having this clear definition of the individual who's responsible for stewarding the data, the individual who's responsible for really understanding it and being the communication back to the individual who's trying to use it, these types of roles have really given us uh, some clarity around the process, which can reduce some of these timelines. Another critical way that we've been trying to drive these efficiencies is to identify the really high value data sources, the ones that may be quite complex, but really cut across the business, everything from inspections to the supply chain example I gave earlier. In these contexts, we've really brought the human expertise in alongside that data to, to turn it into the information that people need, working with subject matter experts, to develop glossaries around emerging areas of work, like real-world data. So as you're working through FDA's data, how are you integrating automation to improve workflows? On the other extreme from, from these types of high-touch approaches, we're also trying to apply automation, bringing workflows that currently depend heavily on email and a large number of files moving between sponsors and the FDA, really asking that question, can we improve these workflows? Can we put information in one place? And can we start using tools like natural language processing to help us sort documents, help us surface information when it's available? The other key point I wanted to mention is our role as the chief data office in, in not starting from scratch, but really scaling what works for people already in, in the different pockets of excellence across the FDA. Anything that we can do to reduce the friction of this kind of data life cycle is something that we want to take on and somewhere that we, we can take inspiration or, or really scale the work that's already happening in different components of the FDA. The COVID-19 pandemic highlighted the need for real-world data and evidence to quickly respond to healthcare demands. This means there is a more pressing need to accelerate data collection and management. Before we can even really talk about this idea of real-world data and real-world evidence, we, we kind of have to confront where we are. So today, when we make a decision, whether it's during a pandemic setting or in a more routine device clearance or drug approval, we traditionally use clinical trials. And these are well-defined instruments for finding cause and effect, for distinguishing what a, what a new intervention can do for folks. They're also very expensive because they're so controlled, because you keep the protocol consistent, except for that 
that single intervention that you're trying to manage, you need a dedicated uh, trial support team. You need physicians and researchers who are adhering to a protocol. And everything from doing that training to setting up that data infrastructure for that study can really add to the cost and the timeline for doing traditional research. I think what we've really seen during COVID-19 is that traditional ways of doing clinical trials have a significant role, but we are losing out on the data that's being generated in other settings, in the community setting, in hospitals where there may be different protocols being applied in different geographies. Real world data is, is really asking that question, can we use some of this information about health status, about what's happening in routine care, or in this case, in pandemic response, to understand how different interventions are performing. And that, that move from these different kind of novel sources of data to the analysis, kind of describing whether it's having a, a positive or negative impact, that's the transition from real-world data to real-world evidence. And depending on how we evaluate that evidence as part of a broader package, that's how we get to the ultimate regulatory decision. What are some of the lessons learned about FDA's data and technology applications that the agency has drawn from COVID-19? The FDA as a whole has been charged with understanding the role of this type of routine data, of less expensive and more efficient use of routine data. And the outbreak of COVID-19 has really, I think, put a, a magnifying glass on the speed of trials and how effectively they can get, get the regulators and the population the answers they need. So I think during the COVID crisis, we've really been playing a critical role in coordination. I think having the FDA as a neutral body who can speak to, from a regulatory perspective, what the data should look like, what types of questions need to be asked of the data, has really allowed us to bring together folks from the private sector through research collaboration agreements, through our partnership with Reagan Udall on the Evidence Accelerator Program to create a really interactive way of analyzing this data in parallel across multiple sites, sharing insights across different geographies to really hone in on what's working for our population today. And I think this type of enabling of collaboration, this creation of kind of a, an open forum for sharing drives to more accurate and faster outcomes, which, as we, get, as we know, is so critical in this pandemic time. The pandemic has also called attention to the importance of data sharing, which has enabled government agencies to quickly pivot to serve the public. A key component to this is interoperability strategies, which is impacting FDA as providers and other health agencies seek access to more data. Data interoperability is an issue that I think a lot of people can relate to if they've had to try to access data. Uh, whether that's our own personal medical data to bring it from one hospital to another, or whether you're a researcher that's trying to ask the question about how different populations have received care. I think interoperability is something that you really have to talk about at multiple levels. And there are problems and barriers that the agency is working on across these levels. I think at the simplest, the FDA uh, collects information directly from the public on things like adverse events around different interventions. And what we do to make that data not only available, but really something that people can easily access 
is, is publishing that information back out in a de-identified and safe way and making that downloadable for people who want to do their own analyses, but actually doing some of that groundwork, kind of asking the questions, what do people want to know around trends and safety and sharing that back out as dashboards that are available through the FDA website. I think another place where interoperability is key, where the FDA has been really facilitating, is the idea of genomic data. Through Precision FDA, we're able to handle a range of omics data, not just genomics, but other information that can be useful in understanding the phenotype of an individual and, and how a drug may be performing in a population. Part of what we do to promote interoperability around these different types of omics data is to create a web portal that gives you shared access to a set of workflows that others have used so that you can apply them to your data, to your questions, as well as a common set of data science tools co-located with that data to really allow people to, to do analysis in a way that's meaningful to their use case. Another area where interoperability has been key at, that I alluded to in our kind of discussion of real-world data and real-world evidence is the FDA's role in accessing and making accessible this, this data that traditionally hasn't been used in healthcare decision-making at a public health scale. I mean, interoperability is an issue that really cuts across agencies within health and human services, but even more broadly. And I think while the FDA can and should do a lot to, to drive the interoperability conversation, I think one of the most exciting opportunities over the coming years will be collaborating across health and human services to really ask, you know, what are the key decisions that are being made by each agency? How do we reshape everything from our research to our approval to our reimbursement processes so that the right data is collected at the right time to really accelerate how these innovations transition from research all the way to implementation? What are some of the most exciting outcomes you've seen from collaboration across government? One of the most exciting collaborations uh, from my perspective as a medical device developer, and this is one that predated me joining the FDA, but very much was timely for, for COVID. And this is a, the Rapid Acceleration of Diagnostics Program or the RADx program at NIH. While it was housed in a research agency, they very much took the perspective that the dollars that were deployed would need to lead to products that affected the kind of path of COVID during this crisis. And what they did in that capacity was to stand up really agile teams that brought in expertise from the private sector, from across agencies, and the FDA was represented on those teams. And while there was a very careful firewall to make sure that the individuals who were giving guidance on how you might think about trial design and how you might think about the, the risks around a product were separate from the individuals who were part of the review. Uh, it was a really critical example of how that regulatory mindset could be part of an agile team to really quickly test and iterate on new concepts that have a potential of, of making a difference in, in both the drug and the devices space. Moving forward, where do you see more opportunities for cross-agency collaboration? So when I think about the role of collaboration, there's an opportunity to partner with agencies like the National Science Foundation, the NIH, and BARDA. As we think about the role of the U.S. regulatory and reimbursement system, 
there are incredible uh, opportunities to partner with uh, centers for, for Medicare and Medicaid services, as well as outside of government with private payers as they start to think about that decision. You know, once something is safe and effective, how do you make this accessible to your population? So equity and quality, I think, are some of the key benefits that would come out of this kind of newer model of collaboration that the pandemic has really pushed us towards. One of the key partners for the FDA in that process is the Agency for Health Research and Quality. Uh, I think driving towards common metrics that not only incorporate the requirements that the FDA needs, but start thinking towards the metrics that ARC is looking for is a way to, to kind of end up with something that not only is safe, but is really reaching the populations that, we, that, that may not be served today and ensuring that there is a, a positive outcome across these populations. The next real intersection with other agencies is the opportunity to work on care provision itself. We have uh, incredible institutions like the Veterans Health Administration and the DOD hospitals themselves for service members where the government is involved in providing healthcare and ensuring the safety of, of, uh, of servicemen and women and veterans. If we really take responsibility for that end outcome for the public, we should really embrace these opportunities to collaborate on everything from the science and the structures that generate the innovation all the way through understanding who's being affected and taking into account who's trying to access these interventions to, to, to achieve the types of health impacts that, that we may want from a public health perspective. Finally, I'll say that I think there's a growing recognition around this idea of social determinants of health, that it's, it's not just the intervention and the care facility that will drive outcomes. It is this kind of constellation of factors that drives access, that drives uh, stability. And you know, this could really trigger in the future opportunities to collaborate as widely as you know, HUD on housing to the Department of Justice to ensure that there aren't any other systemic barriers that are being put up to, the, to accessing care. Thank you so much for joining this episode. It was great to learn about the innovation happening at FDA. Great. Thanks for having me, Sarah. To hear more about the Rapid Acceleration of Diagnostics program, or RADx mentioned, check out the episode on Inside the Program that Accelerated COVID-19 Testing and Diagnostics. And check out the episode titled VHA's Innovation Ecosystem is Collaborating to Create New Veteran Health Solutions to learn how the PIF program is impacting other agencies. Thank you for tuning in, and if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe with your favorite podcast app or listen to more at governmentciomedia.com. Until next time. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris and Adam Patterson. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.